The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a family-friendly celebration of geekdom by father-daughter hobbitses. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and I'm joined, as always, by my daughter. Good morning. And we are two generations of geek. This is episode 16, The Smog Report, and we'll be talking about the new Hobbit movie, The Desolation of Smog, with our special guest, Kevin Lauderdale, host of the Chronic Whip Network podcast, It Has Come to My Attention, and his daughter, Elizabeth. This episode, we are Generations Geek Squared. But first, I want to remind our listeners to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and visit GenerationsGeek.com, which provides handy links to all of our shows on the Chronic Rift Network. Send any questions to thegeeks at GenerationsGeek.com. Before we bring on our guests, we've got just one more word to say. Spoilers! Now, on with the show. Kevin and Elizabeth, welcome to Generations Geek. Yay, great to be here. <laughs> Elle and I survived the double feature. We went to Hobbit 1 and 2 back to back. I enjoyed it. I didn't and just survive. And so it was a, it was a big... Uh, we were in the theater for like eight or nine hours. Did you, did you bring a change of clothes? <laughs> did you bring a toothbrush? Realistically, what did you eat over the course of like those eight hours? We had a little uh, theater pizza. I had a Coca-Cola Icy. And we had some, <laughs> we had some water and, and some, some ice cream. Party! Wait, wait, was that school? Did you, have, did you have school the next day? I did. That was fun. Were you wired? You're like, ah, ah, Icy, Icy, Icy. <laughs> I didn't get actually really um, tired until later that night, but I just about went insane during literature, I think, before I ate lunch. Because, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were working on about four hours of sleep, tops. It's always super warm in there, too. So I was, like, almost dozing off, and I, like, fell off my chair. <laughs> that was fun. It was really strange. There were about five or six other people in the theater other than us. Wow. And it when, was strange yet fantastic. Yeah. I stretched out over like three chairs. <laughs> when we went to the midnight premiere for part one at a different theater, it was packed. It was you know, like a convention. People were in costume. So we were expecting to have much the same thing this time. And then, so we went like an hour and a half early to make sure we got good seats. We were actually like an hour and 45 minutes early because we got there earlier yeah. than we were expecting. And we were the only people, we were the first people there, and we were sitting there for at least half an hour or more before someone else showed up. We went to the Saturday showing. We bought tickets in advance because we wanted, we were going to, we wanted to see the high frame rate, which we'll all talk about. And the only way to see it in high frame rate was high frame rate, 3D, IMAX. And we figured, oh, it's at this one theater. So we bought advance tickets, and we got there an hour and a half early. And what were we like? There were like four people in line ahead of us. Yeah. So, but by the time that hour and a half ended, the line was. Um, the a lady who walked by said that the line was out the door. Wow. Let's start with a little compare and contrast of part one and part two. Uh, what did you guys think of part one overall? And and. What was your reaction to part two in comparison to part one? I liked part one overall. I mm -hmm. think a, a difference between part one and part two is that in part two, there's less of Bilbo and more of Thorin and the dwarves as a group. Yeah. I'd say my review of part two is it's if whatever you thought of part one, you will think exactly the same about part two, except everyone's going to love the barrel ride. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I my. My reaction was exactly the same as my left part one, which is I wish I had just come from a two and a half hour version of The Hobbit. I'd just seen The Hobbit. Yeah. I'm really iffy on all the other stuff. It's, the problem is he's not making The Hobbit. Peter Jackson is making a prequel to Lord of the Rings. And I like the stuff that was The Hobbit. I love the Gollum scene in the first movie. I like the barrel ride and smog in the second movie. And I'm just kind of iffy on all the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to take the trouble to actually do the Bayorn scene, which is like five minutes of the movie, I mean, it was cut, it was cut out of the Rankin-Bass animated version. If you're going to be a slave to the work so much, you're actually going to do Bayorn, then why have all of the other stuff except it just feels like padding? 
you know, I liked it. I didn't like it. <laughs> Ella, what what was your reaction to part two as compared to your reaction to part one? I thought that part two had a lot less scenes that seemed to go on forever and ever, mm-hmm. longer than they should. Um, and right after I saw it, I was, even though it was like three in the morning, I was ready to walk back in and see it again, which was um, better than my reaction was to part one. For part one, I was like, okay. That was cool. Let's go home. But I was like, let's go back. That's really interesting. Yeah, there's no ponderous walking scenes in this movie. <laughs> it, 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 all the scenes in this movie are pretty much important scenes. It's like, here's action. Here's people talking about what's going on. There's not a whole lot of green fields waving in the grass. Yeah, I thought the pacing in part two was better. Uh, part one had the problem of of wedging in all the backstory. So you had those scenes where the forward momentum of the story stopped while they filled you in on the past. And part one also had some scenes, like Ella said, that just went on way too long. The dwarves falling through the uh, goblin tunnels (laughs) just went on forever and ever and ever. And so I would say that part two was better in that regard, that the pacing was better. But I still had some real problems with it, uh, similar to what uh, what you said, Kevin. For me, this, and, and what you said also, Elizabeth, for me, the title of this movie could have been The Dwarves. Yeah. yeah. Smart and the last, the, last, like the last half hour. Yeah, the, and, and I have two key examples of that that I want to mention. Uh, two key scenes where in the novel, they are real Bilbo scenes where you get to see what Bilbo can do as he's sort of coming into himself. And the problem is, uh, in making this, like you said, into a prequel to The Lord of the Rings, the, the challenge that Peter Jackson has is to make an adult film out of a children's novel. And one of the things that he jettisons, and he had no choice, uh, in the novel, the dwarves are a big bunch of goofballs. <laughs> And they're always doing goofball things, and Bilbo has to rescue them. Well, they they couldn't be goofballs in this film. They had to be heroic characters. And in order to give them those heroic scenes, unfortunately, it takes away from Bilbo. For instance, the spiders in Mirkwood. In the novel, Bilbo has to be very resourceful and draw the spiders away and then run back and free the dwarves, and the dwarves are all uh, goofy on spider venom. (laughs) And of course, in this film, it gets turned into a huge battle scene where Bilbo cuts them down, the dwarves come out fighting, and it's the dwarves fighting the spiders until the elves show up. And so Bilbo's contribution gets minimized. He still does he still a lot, does though. Stuff. He still and distracts them. A little. And he but it's, kills, like, the first few. It's, it's very compressed, and he, he doesn't do as much as in the novel. There I liked is, when they were talking. There is the great scene with him fighting the spider for the ring, though. That was a nice scene. Yeah. And then when they finally get to the Lonely Mountain, in the novel, Bilbo goes repeatedly in to face Smog alone, and and talk with him. And in the movie, he goes in, and then boom, the dwarves come in, and then the dwarves start doing all sorts of fancy mining stuff, fighting smog. And Bilbo's part in that then just also gets kind of shoved aside. I hadn't thought about that. If you're going to make a movie of The Hobbit, you don't necessarily have to, as much as I love it, you don't necessarily have to have Bilbo just sneaking in, sneaking out. You know, I would have done something like what they did, which is if you're going to have a dragon and you're going to have tons of gold, do something action-oriented rather mm-hmm. than just having them sitting around talking. I, I, I excuse him for that. From a movie-making standpoint, it makes sense to do what he did. I wish that he could have found a way to keep Bilbo more active in some of those scenes. What did you think about, Ella, about what happened with Bilbo in the second film? I liked it. Um, I feel like the relationship between Smog and Bilbo was a lot different in the book. Mm-hmm. Just like their general, like, how they spoke to each other. Because in the book, it's almost, you could almost say it's friendly. 
Whereas in the movie, Smog was being very like aggressive towards him almost the entire time. Yep. And they almost have like a, they almost have like a nice like pleasant conversation, like "Oh, hey, I'm in your house that you stole from my friends. Cool, whatever." <laughs> well, and I think part of that is that uh, the children's book versus adult movie thing too yeah. is that in this they had to have it be darker and more menacing right away, with you know little Benny C. I was just about to say the, that. the menacing voice. Elizabeth, I'm assuming that you've read the book. Yeah. What did you think of some of the changes between the book and the film? I agree with what we said before about it being too much of a, a Lord of the Rings prequel. Mm -hmm. so there was a bunch of extra stuff in there that you could tell was linked to the Lord of the Rings, like the um, King's Foil. Yeah, or like when they're in Bree. And, like, five of the same things that happened in Lord yeah. of the Rings happen yeah. over again. And Peter Jackson has the same cameo. Yeah. I think from a commercial movie-making point of view, he kind of had to tie it in more. But some of them are less effective than others. Elizabeth, what did you think of Toriel, the new elf character? Well, as a character, I sort of liked her because she was kind of rebellious against mm -hmm. the elves in their little world. <laughs> the elves basically what the, um, I forget the guy's name who had the crown and stuff. So. Thranduil? Yeah. Um, he was sort of like, okay, we're going to have our little world in here and not let the, not let anyone else in. We don't really care about the outside world. They can crash and burn, but we, we will be safe in our little bubble. And she's sort of like, no, we should care about other people too. But I didn't really like the uh, love triangle stuff. I found that to be kind of unnecessary and not really related to the plot of overall. And what about you, Ella? Because I know you were excited from the moment they announced <laughs> that there was going to be this Toriel character. You'd been looking forward to it. How did it match up to your hopes and dreams for her? Of course, I like the character for all the same reasons Elizabeth likes her. And I wasn't sure about the love triangle. I was just mostly uh, uh, happy that there was a woman in The Hobbit that was being awesome. <laughs> uh, it's like there weren't any women, and now when there are, there has to be romance. So, you know. Whenever we go and see uh, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I loved it. And people are like, oh yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, well, yeah, that wasn't good. And then like, <laughs> what about this? And I'm like, yeah, that didn't work either. And they're like, wait, but, and I was like, yeah, but it's the best though. <laughs> it yes. works on an emotional level really well. But perhaps um, when we start applying analytical thoughts, like, wait a minute. I think that um, Toriel would have been just as good or maybe even better if there hadn't been the love triangle stuff. And she would have just been good by herself. I mean, yeah. so just like that. Ooh, does it weaken her character because she's a female to have to have her in a, in a romance sequence? Can you just have a strong female kick butt character? Well, I think one of the things that they were doing was just playing off that whole elf dwarf thing, you know, and that was one of the key things between Legolas and Gimli in Lord of the Rings. They don't like each other, right? Yeah. One thing I did like about it is since we've seen Lord of the Rings first, if we're just talking about the movies, we know that Legolas and Gimli become solid friends. Best buddies. So then to go back in time and see Legolas still being very dismissive and uncaring. Looking at the little baby picture, like, what's oh, this gross thing? Yeah. <laughs> that was so good. I love that. Yeah, I think that worked all right. But anytime you add something like that, like the love triangle, well, then that's just screen time that's got to come away from something else. If we go back to Bjorn, you know, they just flew through Bjorn. It was so rushed. Does he do much in the book? Isn't he just there to say... Keep on the path. Yeah. <laughs> basically what he does in the book is uh, they go to Bjorn's house and the dwarves and Bilbo are basically left there for a yeah. couple of days. And then Bjorn and Gandalf show up and are like, stay on the path. Go now. But the entire sequence in the novel is much more atmospheric because they're, they stay there. You know, they're rushing the time element. This is something I talk about when I talk about Lord of the Rings as well, is that everything goes so fast. It's like they cross the entirety of Middle Earth in a couple of days. And you, you don't get the sense of what a long and treacherous journey 
it is. And that's one thing that I miss a little bit. I wish that you got more of a sense of how far they travel. But I understand why he's accentuating the adventure element. I wanted to ask, when you saw the first movie, did you see it in just regular? No 3D, no high frame rate? Yeah, yeah, we almost, okay. yes. Because we saw, when we saw the first movie the first time, we saw it the regular old-fashioned way. But then now, in the double feature, we saw the first one in 3D and high, high frame rate. So I wanted to talk a little bit about comparing those two experiences. Ella, what did you think of The Hobbit Part 1 in 3D and HFR compared to The Hobbit Part 1 old-fashioned? Well, I love the high frame rate. Um, I thought it looked really great. I thought it, it did make whatever special effects they were doing look a little bit less real yes. because it was so in focus that you could like um, pick out a lot more what was um, CGI yeah. or whatever yeah, they were using. I, um, I, uh, I didn't motion like... Motion capture. I didn't like the high frame rate in part one. It was too bright. Everything was very bright. It looks it just looked like a high def video. And even some of the night scenes were looked much brighter. But I didn't mind it so much in part two. So I did a little research and it turns out that a lot of the people when they saw part one in high frame rate complained about the appearance. And so in part two he softened it a bit so that it wasn't so just crazily sharp. <laughs> and so I liked it. And so I it worked better I for me. I felt like in I was in two. bag end. See, for me, I, and I know that a lot of people have made similar comments to what you're making yeah. that they found that the high frame rate made it look more real, like you're looking through a window, like you're Except right there. Except for when you're looking at the special effects. But for me, it didn't do that. For me, it, it didn't look more real. It just looked sharper. And and I don't find those two to be necessarily the same thing. So I was a little put off by that. But then the second one was better. So what did you guys, Kevin and Elizabeth, think of seeing part two in 3D and high frame rate compared to seeing part one the old-fashioned way? I liked seeing part two in high frame rate. Uh, like Ella said, it did look real. Um, I especially liked the parts where there was like something else in the foreground and Bilbo or the dwarves or Gandalf or whoever was in the background. And, but, and, but you could still see them sharply. Mm -hmm. One thing about seeing it in 3d is when, if I tilted my head in the 3d, it became blurry. Ah. I'm not sure what that is, but. And Kevin, what did you think of the 3d? Um, well, first of all, I, I feel like I know Martin Freeman's pores intimately. <laughs> Those opening shots, every time for a first few minutes, when they showed his face, I was like, man, he's got big pores. <laughs> After a while, I didn't notice it. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was interesting. You know, seeing it in 3D high frame rate does create um, a very smooth image. It is almost quite like you're there. I, I now think perhaps I would not want to see a 2D high frame rate because I'm not sure what I would quite get out of it. Yeah. Um, I, like I said, after a while, I didn't even notice it, except for there being occasional something where something would happen. I go, oh, that is really sharp. Yeah, that's really um, quite an experience. That's different. But after the beginning of the first few minutes, I, I, I wasn't really that impressed. I don't see why I would want to go see, say, a Woody Allen movie in high frame rate. <laughs> I think that yeah. this is a lot like when color was first introduced and it was saved for things like Wizard of Oz and cartoons. I think that a regular plain old drama in high frame rate might not really have any effect, but it's great for spectacles like this. My friend's TV makes everything look like it's in high frame rate and it's kind of weird and so when it's on, like, the small screen, like, right in front of you, like, we'd be watching uh, Supernatural, and we'd just be freaking out because it was kind of weird, and it looked kind of, it, it didn't look like a, like, a, like you were watch. I don't know. It was just strange. I didn't really like it. Yeah, it's called smoothing or de-juddering, and you can turn that on or off on your, on your TV. It doesn't add a lot to me. Once when we were watching Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, we turned 
the, the frame, smoothing on. We, yeah. we turned the smoothing on, and it made it look like a video game. <laughs> I have a problem with my eyes that makes it difficult for me to see the 3D. Sometimes it kind of comes and goes, so I, I'm always very curious what people think of the 3D. But even when I'm when my eyes are properly focused and I'm seeing the 3D, I generally don't find that it it, it just doesn't add that much. I mean, you still need you need the story there. And with a, a bad story in 3D, is still just going to be a bad story. And uh, th- when you have a good story going on, the 3D, you know, it adds a you know a little something here and I there. I jumped a couple times in the theater. Yeah, sometimes during those, those <laughs> sort of jump things, it, it like an arc would like shoot an arrow really fast at yeah. Keely, and I'd like like close my eyes and like jump in my seat, like Whoa. So yeah, there's here and there. I see how it adds an extra little emotional jolt to an action scene. Uh, but overall, it just it uh, maybe it's just because I'm an old man and I just I'm happy with my old movies. <laughs> but uh, the 3D high frame rate didn't, doesn't really the part add much. that I liked the best with the high frame rate and the 3D and everything was when Smog uh, leaves um, the mountain and he's like covered in gold and then he jumps up and like shakes it all off of him. That was amazing. That looked yeah. gorgeous. I loved how the Darvs used all the molten gold and the statue just dissolved. That was a on top of smog. That was a really clever idea. That's an, that's an addition that I approve of. That was a really clever idea of trying to, to basically give smog the gold finger trick, you know? It looked spectacular. I, I just had kind of a meh reaction to it. Yeah. it I liked just... it. It's like when you realize what they're doing, it's like, oh my gosh, like dragons love gold, and here's this giant gold thing the size of smog, and he looks at it like, oh my god, why didn't I refine this? And then all of a sudden it like attacks him with molten gold. And maybe it's because I'm partial to the book. I approve of when he does something like add in a female character because the book is lacking in a female character. But then some of these other things that are added in that are just added in for spectacle that aren't necessarily adding in something that you might say the original story is missing for a contemporary audience. I tend to be kind of lukewarm. What did you guys think about how they beefed up the role of Bard? It's, uh, let me, let me jump, let me skip that question. I'll come back to it (laughs) too, because I was thinking of it's related to what do you think of what they did with the mayor of the town? And I was recalling that, Together, that's like three sentences in the book. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't Bard like become Lord of Dale and the Master Town just runs away with a bunch of money? Yeah. Maybe we'll see that in the third movie. What did I think about beefing up, beefing up Bard? You know, what I didn't like was that the arrows were special. In, in the book, aren't they just plain old arrows and he's a really good shot? Yeah. My recollection is that the Black Arrow is an heirloom of some sort that he's used and has always recovered but it had nothing to do with a big fancy dwarven bow i think they were trying to be like like this is how much force it takes to get through scales like you need to use this kind of bow with like the four strings and this giant like solid metal arrow and then maybe you can but he'll burn down your town anyway and yeah (laughs) i I, and i kind of I, i think that that might be sort of a making it more adult thing too that in a children in the context of the children's story maybe it's more believable that it's just a regular arrow but they wanted to heighten the fact that this is a dragon and you need something special to fight a dragon so i didn't really mind that oh but, my gosh when he when they're like oh my gosh what are we gonna do and he just like pulls the uh, arrow out of nowhere it's <laughs> <laughs> like what are we gonna do arrow <laughs> but yeah all the sort of political stuff that they added in between the bard and and i, I don't know I, I i i liked the sneaky guy though the sneak around guy in all black he was sneaky yeah he was sneaky <laughs> I, I don't he know. looked like that guy reminded me of uh worm oh that's what yeah it was. yeah that's what it was yeah that's and it's what it was thank you I was and, watching that guy sneak around. I'm like, I've seen this. It's like a callback <laughs> to something else. What was it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that could be some subtle. Yeah. But I think, yeah, I, I think you're right that, that he was the worm tongue character. And it, it seems to me that uh, Peter Jackson was, he's doing too many callbacks. When you do this sort of stuff, it's sort of like George Lucas. The problem, one of the real problems I have with the prequel films is it makes that universe really small. Oh, Darth Vader is the one who built C-3PO. 
oh, Gimli is the son of one of the, the 13 dwarves. Well, it does say that in the book. But that's that's yeah, an original. Is, yeah, that that is, I stand that is corrected. <laughs> but it, it seems like the sort of thing that we're getting, we're getting foisted on. Yeah. Like every, everybody who showed like, it wasn't just any elf. It was Legolas who showed up. But Legolas, it is a uh, canon, if I may use that word. <laughs> uh, Legolas's father is Thranduil. Yeah. And Every complaint I have about this movie, I can withdraw that. <laughs> right. So that, it, see, it seemed like it was a really constricted universe all of a sudden. Some of those things I didn't mind um, because I, under, I understand wanting to beef up the connections and make it a, a bigger spectacle of a movie, but I still think that two movies would have been fine. Yeah. Because Probably, but this way we get more. But but more what? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. The because you I know, just like to roll around in it. When you, <laughs> I read like slow books, and I'm happy because I can just roll around in the entire book. When you think about what happened in the Desolation of Smog, not a lot really happened, you know, because they're they're saving both. They saved everything for part three because in part three we're going to get we're going to get smog blowing sm- everything up and then we're going to get the battle of five armies smogging defeated battle of five armies and then we're also going to get the added stuff with the big there's going to be some sort of battle huge battle at Dol Guldor and death where emotional they, abuse where they smack down uh, the necromancer and I was smack kind of expecting down. that at least one of those big things was going to happen in part two, and we'd have the other two big things. Yeah, I was in really surprised three. when it stopped before Smog got to. Because um, I was like, okay, so we're going to have that and the Battle of Five Armies and the yeah. Necromancer. For a three hour movie, it seemed like you didn't necessarily get a whole bunch more. I think maybe what would have been better for the three movies is to f- um, try and fit Mirkwood or like half of Mirkwood into the first one. And take away all those slow scenes, and the, or not take away, but like make them less slow, and then do the rest in the second, and then what yeah, in the second movie, and then because the third movie would be the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah, for me, the first movie was at least twenty minutes, if not a half an hour too long, but it wouldn't have felt too long if that twenty minutes or a half an hour had included, you know, further advance on their journey instead of just these prolonged sequences of yeah i was thinking i wanted to go see the second movie with my friend but she hadn't seen the first one and i was thinking so i have it on dvd and i can probably zoom through at least 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) because doesn't leave his house for the first 40 minutes of the movie yeah Yeah, you know i I love like okay dwarves dwarves singing you're fine i'll you can listen to it later (laughs) on my ipod it's cool i want i want peter jackson to release when this is all done the Hobbit, the good parts only edition. Uh, <laughs> just, just fan the stuff edits. Books. Yeah, I, I really suspect there'll be some fan edits made of this movie, of of all the movies that will condense them down. There have been there have been gift sets on Tumblr that have been better than some of the scenes. <laughs> I really enjoyed that Lord of the Rings call out they did at the beginning of the first movie. Oh yeah, to get old Bilbo and Frodo in there. But then that also contributed to the fact that the the story proper doesn't get started for even longer. Yeah. I know it's me, the case for me and Elizabeth. I'm going to guess for Scott that we read and saw like the animated version of The Hobbit first and then Lord of the Rings. And I'm trying to get my mind around the concept that Peter Jackson seems to be making these films like The Hobbit for people who saw Lord of the Rings first. And <laughs> And I wonder if that's why things seem so strange to me is it would never occur to me when I, if I made the Hobbit afterwards to pack it in with all this other stuff, but he seems to be, but there must be a group of people out there. I mean, I guess that's the majority of film goers who, whose experiences Lord of the Rings, then the Hobbit. Yeah, I think so. And it, and, and it is very strange for me because of course I grew up reading the books. And so I was very familiar with the books read in order for decades and saw the animated Hobbit, saw the much uh, maligned animated Lord of the Rings. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Which I don't think is anywhere near as bad as its reputation. So by the time I got to seeing the Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson version, uh, which overall I loved them, my experience of the entire Middle-Earth saga is in the 
correct order. <laughs> but I think there are tons of people who have not read the books and are young enough that they didn't necessarily see The Hobbit, the animated version. So yeah, people, there's all these people that are seeing them in reverse order. And it is, it is a strange thing. What do you think about that concept? Do you think that it's... I think it's taking away from the plot of The Hobbit a little bit mm-hmm. because they keep stopping to go, oh, see, look, this is the same This is the same thing from The Thing. Get it? <laughs> get it? Okay. Okay, now we got it. Okay, now we got to get back to The Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and while, on the one hand, playing up some of those connections is a valid choice, the execution leaves something to be desired. It makes sense to me for Peter Jackson to make a adult version of The Hobbit because we already have the kids version. We've got the kids version in the book and we have the kids uh, movie adaptation My friends in the hate animated the movie adaptation version. and I think they wasted their childhood because of it. <laughs> As an adult, I still love the animated, the original animated version. What do you think of the animated version, both of you guys? Um, I do not actually remember much of the animated oh, yeah. version. Oh, it's been a really long time since I saw it. Oh uh, yeah, I should probably show it to you like four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I-, I still love it. I think it's, it's great. Even though they cut out like the cut out Bayor and they cut out huge chunks of other things, I think it moves smoothly. I love the voices. John Huston as Gandalf. Maybe it's just the fact that I saw it when I was nine or ten, and so it's permanently seared into my mind. But I, I still think it's great. And it is unfortunate that some of the stuff was cut out because I think some of that stuff done in that style would have been great. I think Bjorn would have been great done in the style of that movie. But it's it's a great kids movie that, that holds up perfectly well. I still have the soundtrack on my iPod and I can still sing along with the entire thing. Yeah. And I know all the transitions yeah. between the songs. I started showing that to Ella when she was quite young. And Except for that one, when I listen to um, when they're going down into Rivendell and the elves are singing, all I can picture is Elrond, and then I just get weirded out by thinking of Elrond singing like fa la la la. Yeah, some of it is strange to go back to once you've seen the uh, the, the the more adult versions. But I, I made a soundtrack by you know I just lifted the songs off the DVD. And yeah, and then you own. put it on a CD for me to play in like my SpongeBob karaoke machine. <laughs> That was just scary. Let's see. So they they kept the uh, that's what Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins hates song kind of. I but uh, play that song just to annoy my friends, and I'll sing along with it and like run around, and they're just like Ella, stop, <laughs> Ella, what are you doing? But yeah, you couldn't really expect there to be all the singing in the uh, adult version that there was in the in the original. I was happy though they kept that one in Misty Mountains. Yeah, yeah, those are some of my favorite parts of the book. Yeah, <laughs> so like the two best songs. Um, about the backstory, were you guys confused at the beginning? Because when it started and it was like, Brie, I was like, what the heck are you doing? Get out of yeah. Brie. They were so far away from Brie. What is going on? And then I was like, they're about to fight. They're about to fight in the middle of the Prancing Pony. What's happening? And then yeah. I was like, oh, backstory. Okay, I get it. When we saw the sign that said Prancing Pony, I elbowed my friend who went with it. I'm like, that's the same place. Yeah. What, what are they doing there? It's supposed to be. Well, I was confused by the opening of the first film because I wasn't, I wasn't sure. I did not know they were setting up like a framing story. I was like, what? 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 Well, I accepted it more in the first one because it was like it was the first one. It's like they're yeah. like in whatever, but. Um, and in the, the second one, I was like, ready. I was like, let's get down to business, man. Well, one of the great things about the use of the of Bilbo and Frodo in the first one is it's actually adding in material that was missing from Lord of the Rings. Some of that d- detail about the Sackville Bagginses and stuff. Those yeah, scenes, we didn't those, get to hear about the Sackville yeah, Bagginses. Those scenes aren't in the Lord of the Rings movies. So I, I thought that worked really well. I wish there but, was more gossiping about hobbits on boats, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the scene in The Prancing Pony opening up part two doesn't really add, any, add anything to it that you didn't already know. And I think they were just using it as a way to kind of remind people, you know, previously in The Hobbit... You know, yeah. I think was kind of the way they wanted it to come across. But, yeah, I, I was kind of lukewarm about that scene as well. You know, these films are popular not just among uh, the people you'd expect them to be popular, mm-hmm. among geeks. 
And I, I'm still amazed that these films, uh, the Lord of the Rings films, won Academy Awards and, and made the billions of dollars they did. When I see something like the, the references we're getting at the beginning of the second film, I thought, well, here, that works for, for me and my geeky buddies. But is that going to play in Peoria? Mm-hmm. And I guess it does. I guess geek culture is really now the dominant culture. <laughs> when kids at my daughter's school all watch Doctor Who. Well, I, I am in the um, advanced you are smart in- people program. <laughs> <laughs> so, that may be part of it. But it's, it, I'm amazed that you're able to now make Hollywood movies that reference other, you know, in, in the same universe, but that reference, you know, a genre film from 10 years ago. And everybody goes, oh, yeah, of course, I get that. Are we yes. getting smarter or are we getting geekier? I'm, I'm all for both. <laughs> I just read an interesting article online somewhere about the ascendancy of geek culture and how there's much more of a one-to-one correspondence between geek culture and pop culture now than there used to be. And the, one of the I things... I think it's becoming less geeky. And one of the things that... Well, it's, 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 I think it's becoming more acceptable. There's, there's less of... Maybe. There's, in, in some places, at least, there's less of a negative connotation to it now. And, you know, when, when did uh, Big Bang Theory start oh god like seven years ago it's yeah. been on forever now yeah but you can watch that show without understanding any of the references and yeah stuff like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like... but there is that show kind of came out at just the right time when the the accessibility of geek culture was was widening and then you know you get to see like lord of the rings also you know the the, the marvel movies the whole avengers saga was also like a huge crossover hit where it wasn't just geeky comic book people that are going to see those movies. Uh, everyone's going to see those movies. And, and the, the pop culture and the geek stuff has just come together. Is it because now we can do anything visually? <laughs> it wasn't, you know, there may have been a time where if you went to go see Lord of the Rings, it, it would have been really cheesy and kind of sucked and looked fake. Do you think people are now more willing to go see it because they look better? That could be. But but it still would have been at that time. It still would have been the best special effects out there. Like yeah, but as as special effects get more and more photorealistic, it probably does make it more accessible to a wider audience because you're already asking them to believe things that they wouldn't necessarily believe. For for power geeks like you and I, we're perfectly willing to believe in uh, trolls and this <laughs> and that. But a lot of people, they come to a movie. What's the they're they're muggles? What's the, what's the term? For <laughs> muggles. Muggles. Yeah. <laughs> the the muggles. They're the kind of people that roll their eyes at some of this stuff. But when they sit down in a movie now and they see these things realized in a perfect way, maybe it makes it easier for them to just say, "Okay, there's a troll," and then they just they they roll with it. That makes of, me like them less, though. But yeah, well, see. <laughs> Yeah, Ella and I are definitely, uh, we love old movies. And if you have a good movie, the fact that the special effects aren't up to snuff doesn't necessarily affect it. Yeah, I a mean, good movie is a good movie, no matter if there's a guy in a rubber suit. Yeah. Like, I, Original just, series Star Trek. It's still great. Even like, though, because my friends will be like, I can't stand watching movies in black and white. That's awful. And I'm like, I'm going to turn you black and white. And then you'll see. I'm just like, but it's, it's, a, it's a good movie. You're just, you're, you're a shallow person. Well, I don't think you need to go. I don't think you need to play that card necessarily. But, I do, uh, but it bothers me. It's, it's definitely. It's sad. Yeah. I'm all excited about a good movie. I'm like, you should watch this. And we start watching it. I'm like, I can't watch this movie. It's in black and white. <laughs> we had to watch a movie in Civics that was in black and white. Our teacher was like, oh, this is my favorite movie. It's this greatest movie about American politics ever made. Was it 12 Angry Men? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it's called That's Mr. almost Smith. exactly what my civics teacher said about 12 Angry Men. <laughs> oh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Yes, yes. It's Mr. Smith Goes oh. to Washington. Yeah. You have, have you seen that? I don't know. We'll have to watch that sometime. It's like this, um, he's basically like a Boy Scout leader that gets um, chosen to be a senator. 
and he's all about American ideals and everything. And then he goes and like everyone's caught up in um in stuff with political machines and all that. And a bunch of and um so our civics teacher played the movie and it started and it was in black and white and a bunch of people are like, oh, is this, is this whole thing going to be in black and white? Our teacher's like, yes, it's a good movie. Watch it. <laughs> and did they get drawn in to the movie as it went along though? Yes, they did. Okay. They're like, oh, I can't wait to go back to civics tomorrow and see how the movie turns out. Like, good movie's yeah. a good movie. Yeah. My yeah. friends are like, it's like, if it's not a summer blockbuster, it's boring. <laughs> like if a movie doesn't have super big action all the time it's boring and that i their worlds are so small <laughs> this is, so here's a question for ella and elizabeth and then for scott and me i'm getting maybe i'm just getting old but i was a little tired towards the end of orc fighting it's like okay another orc fight <laughs> and another orc fight and another orc fight did you guys find it exciting or were you getting um I was getting bored at it because there really isn't there aren't that much that many orcs in the Hobbit. <laughs> it's like okay, there are goblins here. Okay, that's pretty much it for Yeah, there are like zero orcs in the Hobbit, and then it's just the one time that they like literally fall into the like goblin realm. Yeah. Well I th- does that kind of stuff and so when they're so I was talking about um I was explaining the first movie to my friend and I was like and then they're being chased by orcs and then they're being chased by orcs and then they're being chased by orcs and my friend who's reading the book right now was like wait are are they and I was like in the movie they are yeah in the book they're never being chased by orcs yeah they added in the 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 whole orc subplot to you know create more drama and action because you know in reality in the original novel they, you know, most of the book is them just trying to get to the place, and they have some th- adventures along the way with the spiders and trolls, but there isn't a lot of action. And so he pumped it up with all those orcs, and I mean, we saw all sorts of orc battles in Lord of the Rings. I didn't need to see them and again. Giant ones too. They were a lot bigger yeah. in the Lord of the Rings. Like we don't need, <laughs> we don't really need extra. Yeah, well, there was there's kind of a tenuous concept or a relation between goblins and orcs. You yeah. Know, when when Tolkien wrote The Hobbit, he was using the word goblins, and as he brought it more into the Middle Earth mythology, and he developed orcs in Lord of the Rings. Then I, I think. Well, so- I just took it to mean that goblins are like a really lower level. Like they're low yeah. order. I, I, th- I think there order. is. I think there is a, a textual thing somewhere. I can't remember where that explains the. And then because there's like goblins, orcs, and then urukai. I don't know the the whole, you know, and it's also just adding more operatic music backstory for the dwarves that there's this long-standing battle between well, Azog and the dwarves and in the. That that big backstory scene where they do the flashback and they show when the uh, how Thorin got his name how Thorin got his name and the goblin killed the king and got his arm cut off all that sort of stuff in the original source material Azog was killed at that battle so Peter Jackson drew on a character that was there but then he has him survive so that it becomes this big long sort of Hatfield and McCoy, you know, blood war between them. I liked it when Legolas was fighting him, though. And Legolas was kind of like, oh, man, I actually have to fight him. I can't just shoot him in the face. He's smart. <laughs> yeah. And at the end, when he's, like, bleeding, he's like, oh, my God, I have a nosebleed. He made me bleed. It's the first time I've ever bled in anything. Yes. And that, to me, when <laughs> that when, when Legolas had the nosebleed, it reminded me of original series. Yeah. When, when Kirk would, you know, get a little bit of blood in the corner of and his mouth. And then he's like, oh man, you're going down. <laughs> no, it's for real. <laughs> he should yeah. have had like a gash somewhere and then Legolas could have actually been like angry, <laughs> but no, just just a little nosebleed so it can still look attractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lost track. Did I Did I answer the question? I think we did, yeah. <laughs> but Mike, well, the question was, are we tired of seeing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. constantly yeah. fighting, fighting, fighting? I wasn't tired of all the fighting in the Avengers. But I was kind of tired after a while of saying I've just got another orc battle and another orc battle and another orc battle. I have a question here, and well, let's start with the kids. What was your favorite scene in Desolation? Oh, that is hard. Yeah. But 
I think my favorite scene was maybe Bilbo and Smog talking. Mm-hmm. Just because there there was sort of this uneasiness between them. That's like, I am going to praise you very highly. You're you're so great. Um, and then Smog is it's like, maybe I maybe I'll kill you. Maybe I won't. I'm sort of sort of bored and lonely here. <laughs> but I, um, it, it's been a while since I've seen any of you. I, I really haven't seen you before. You're you're new. You're sort of interesting. Mm. I like that a lot. And what about you, Ella? What was your favorite? Well, the scene between Bilbo and Smog is my favorite scene in the book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the movie, it would have to... Uh, maybe one of the scenes in Markwood, or when they're in... Um, is it a palace? Is it... It's it's like a tree fort, but it's mm-hmm. huge. Yep. The... Um, that thing. Or like one of the scenes where um, all the dwarves are kind of split up into their cells and they're just kind of like yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. Kevin, what was your favorite scene? For me, it was the barrel ride. <laughs> I, I thought, I, I'd been joking for a year. It's like, oh, we're going to get 20 minutes of barrel ride. But the <laughs> stuff they did was so in- was ingenious and funny. <clears throat> and there was, I mean, it's like, it's not just guys in barrels. It's, a, it's, an, or- it's an orc fight, again, but it's one that I really enjoyed. Because there was so many clever things going on here, there, and all around. It was brilliant. The thing that really hit me in that scene was when um, Legolas and Toriel are like running alongside them and killing orcs along the way. And Legolas um, is about to shoot an orc, but there's another one behind him. And Thorin like wastes his only yeah. weapon throwing it at mm-hmm. the orc and like saving Legolas. That hit me really hard. It's that, like, was, that was great. Yeah, that was fantastic. That part was sort of like what Bjorn said when he said, I don't like dwarves, but I don't like orcs more. Yeah. 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 sort of like, well, these uh, these orcs are going to try to kill us. The elves might imprison us, which is worse. I, I think I'll help the elves out. I also liked when uh, Bilbo let them all out, and then he kind of stood there like, uh, <laughs> wait a like, second. Wait, how do I get out? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what my favorite scene was. I mean, there were a number, there were a couple of scenes that I quite liked. When Bilbo dropped the ring and had to fight the spider, and and has his sort of little golem moment. There, oh my god, that was true. I thought that was pretty effective. The little like baby spider comes out and he's like, ha! Well, just the you know <laughs> the way he said mine. Yeah, know, that was I. I thought that, that I thought that was pretty effective. You know, there was a lot that I was kind of lukewarm to in this movie. Even though I'm undecided on the love triangle, triangle, I did like uh, the first Keeley Toriel scene because he's immediately like, "Oh my gosh, buddies, we're fighting against the spiders! Give me a dagger!" And she's like, Psh, "Really? Yeah. Come on." <laughs> Should we uh, ask about least favorite scenes? Do you have a least favorite scene, Elizabeth? I think my least favorite scene might have been. Um, when after the some of the dwarves get left behind, and they're like, "Oh, we need to heal Keely." I I think, I think all that part there where they get left behind and mm-hmm. the stuff with Toriel, th- that was all un unnecessary. We yeah, really that, that, yeah. we really didn't need that for the movie. Well, and so many of them end up getting left behind. It's like four, yeah, the dwarves four. or something that get left because then. Feely doesn't want to leave yeah. Keely, and then whoever was, like, drunk off his butt <laughs> yeah. and, like, slept through the whole thing. Yeah, and so that's that's a strange departure from the book, that, that so many of the dwarves aren't aren't mm-hmm. uh, at the Lonely Mountain when they first uh, I think it was there. because they wanted to make Thorin seem a lot more desperate. Because towards the end, he was really just, like, craving the Arkenstone. Yeah. And then wanted to make him, like, look more crazy. What was your least uh, favorite scene? I think I would have to say the beginning, just because because I was so confused and I was like, scene? "Why yeah. the heck?" I got so angry because I was like, "If they're about to be in Bree right now in the Hobbit, I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to leave." And Kevin, what about for you? I didn't really. I love Stephen Fry, but I didn't care for the whole political stuff of him as the master of the town. I just, I, it, that really felt padded. It's like, if you're going to add stuff, add monsters, add, you know, mythology, I, I don't need to know about the political system. Yeah. And yeah. how he's putting things and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And we're... It had to do a little bit with um the uh, the dwarves getting into, or I should say the company, getting into yeah. uh, Dale, though. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Elle and I are both uh, huge Stephen Fry fans. And 
I I was also a little disappointed at the way they went with. Uh, I mean, he's supposed to be unlikable. He's supposed to be kind of a pompous person. When I heard that he was cast, I thought, oh, that's perfect <laughs> yeah. casting. But yeah, I I would have liked them to have gone a, a a different way on that. I did not like the basically what was a torture scene with the captured orc with uh, Legolas and Thranduil. They weren't actually torturing him, though. Weren't you no? Know, but they were just like, "Tell us, or yeah, we're gonna like." Yeah, but it, it had to me. Yeah, it, it, it had implications. Yeah, and which is un, it's not it's not as uh, fabulous and, as the elves. <laughs> I don't know. I I found myself just wondering from time to time. I, I would get I would get kind of bored with some, the, the added scenes, and I'd just be thinking, "When are we going to get back to the book?" I'm ready to get back to the actual story. I liked how mad Toriel got, though, because she was like, you like death and destruction. You want that to happen everywhere. You want people to be dying, and then I'll kill you. You can die. <laughs> like, see how it feels. Yeah, she, she was a yeah. uh, a great character. It was good casting with Evangeline Lilly. She's good for an elf. And I actually, right, uh, right when uh, Keely and Toriel meet, I was like, this is the perfect setup for a romance. And I was like, they wouldn't do that. And then it <laughs> happened, and I was like, I can't tell if I like this. I'm so confused. Yeah, I'm on the fence. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that in part three. Because in the book, both uh, Feely and Keely die, right? Yeah. In the Battle of Five Armies? Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. So, see, yeah, I I've remember. been waiting... It's like every scene with Keeley makes me so happy because he's like the best. And then at the end of the scene, I'm just like, I'm going to have to watch him die. <laughs> I'm starting to think they, I think they might save him, but I never, never trust anyone who's writing a movie in your fandom ever. Yeah. Well, but it, I mean, it would make a great, uh, sad, poignant death scene. To yeah, have but it would also make Toriel a great, there. it would also make a great uh, Arwen Aragorn moment if he survives. Mm. Which yeah. is uh, debatable whether or not to be good. <laughs> Thorin already dies in a wonderfully, you know, meaningful yeah. death scene when he like sort of like thanks Bilbo and yeah. forgives him for anything he did. Yeah. I, I know I told you you were really horrid, and last time I saw you, I hated you for stealing the Arkenstone. <laughs> I forgive you now. I'm just gonna die peacefully. Well, not so peacefully, but I'm just gonna die here. It's all okay. The opposite of peacefully, but you know. <laughs> Benny did motion capture for his mom. Yeah. You don't really get to see it that much because dragons don't look like people at all. I saw an interview with him where he said that he think he thought that most of the motion capture they would use would be just his face mm -hmm. and try and like get his expression onto Smog. And I ah. think that. The only place where I could really see that if I was focusing on it would have been the scene with the statue because Smog, like, all of a sudden is like, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt kind of bad because uh, I was super excited to see him and then he uh, kept talking about motion capture and then I saw it and I was like, yeah, it's kind of hard to motion capture a dragon. Yeah. It's like, because Gollum looks like he, he has, all, like, a humanoid yeah. shape and so Andy yeah. Circus can hobble around and still, you can still, and, and well, of course, he has a lot more emotional moments too. Yeah. But but I think overall, the rendering of Smog was very effective. Oh yeah, it was gorgeous. And and uh, I just wish we could have seen more voice. acting from mm -hmm. him mm -hmm. because obviously his voice is like melted chocolate on a cheetah wearing a velvet coat. But <laughs> <laughs> I have a T-shirt that says that. <laughs> But he's a fantastic actor as well, and I wanted to see that. But yeah, it doesn't really lend itself. Yeah, which we can't that. see in the Necromancer either because it's just like a cloud of black smoke. You know, when they showed the scene with like the eye and Sauron in the middle of the eye, I, I would never turn around. I'm like, Saurontception! <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah! When the eye first appeared, it's like you're seeing the dark figure and then the flames come and then you get this implication of the eye of Sauron. When it first happened, I was like, wow, that was pretty cool. It was just freaking me out. But then when they turned it into that repeated effect, it kind of lost some of its impact for me. But It was all right. But I it, didn't really. It was. I, uh, I didn't really think about it. I was just like, Sauron! I don't know if I quite buy the fact that Gandalf would have gone in there alone. Uh, I don't think he would have Seemed risked little... anyone else's life, though. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that's a good Cause, point. Because, like, well, he's gonna take poor Radagast in there, who, like... Yeah, well, they made Radagast into such a clownish yeah. character. That's a thing that I don't like. Well, he's just like, he's... I like he's, the idea like of baby. adding Radagast to the story. He's from the books. Yeah, and he's mentioned in The Hobbit. And uh, so bringing him in, I think, was fine, but... Yeah, making him into a goofball with bird yeah, poop he was in his a little, hair. Yeah, is... he was a little bit too much of a goofball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, and and maybe at that point, I can't remember. Was he thoroughly convinced that it was Sauron? I, it seemed like he I was. I don't think but he was though. He, he certainly suspected it. He suspected it, but like, um, he was also Sauron was kind of like, man, come on, that's just some guy. Like, and so I don't yeah. think he was, he wasn't very sure, but he didn't want to take the chance anybody else would get hurt because of him. That could be. And certainly then when he went in, then he, you know, now he knows. <laughs> That's that. why he was all, fly, you fool, to Radagast. So did seeing part two get everyone really riled up and excited to see part three? No. No? I was excited to see part two over again. Yeah. <laughs> So, Kevin, you implied that you're not that excited to see I'll, part three. I'll go see it because mm-hmm. I have to see it and I have to see yeah. how it ends. But, yeah, I'm really this, – this was not The Empire Strikes Back where I, I couldn't wait to see what happened next. What did you think, Elizabeth? I'm semi-excited to see part three. Mm-hmm. The ending is sort of like you have to go see part yeah. three now. I think that might have been the point of the ending. But on the whole, it's not like, oh, my God, I have to see it. So, <laughs> I want to see it now, now, now. It didn't feel like the ending of a movie. It felt like a cliffhanger between chapters. Yeah. Coming into part two. Which maybe that's what it was supposed to be, actually, now that I said that out loud. Coming into part two, I was pretty excited because I thought that some of the stuff Well, that it was I a liked... lot more suspenseful for us because we saw the first one and then we, like, almost right away saw the second yeah. one. So it was a lot more, like... <laughs> but... My the things I was disappointed with in part one, before you know, as we, in the in the run up to part two coming out, I was thinking, and then once you started seeing previews for part two, I was thinking, wow, part two looks like it's not going to have the problems that part one did, and so I got much more excited to see part two than I was for seeing part one over again since we were going to the double feature. And it is true that some of the, my, the the problems of pacing that part one had, part two didn't have. But Peter Jackson still managed to f- add in a bunch of stuff that just didn't really work for me. And so now I'm not as excited for part three as I was to see part two, because now I just think, well, you know, it's just going to be more of the same. Because I loved Lord of the Rings. I, maybe I mentioned that at the top of the show. I can't remember. I was crazy about it, even with its flaws. But The Hobbit the Hobbit adaptation is definitely a couple of steps below the Lord of the Rings Well, the adaptation. only place I ever really cringe in uh, Peter Jackson's adaptations is when there's, like, lots of freshman boy jokes. Like, with the trolls and the, like, blowing their nose. Yeah. That's the only place where I'm kind of like, I can't sit through this scene. But everything else, I'm just like, yes. Peter Even Jackson. Even if he, like, mutilates it, I'm just like, yes. Middle <laughs> Earth. Such Middle Earth. Something. I kind of felt like Keeley stole it a little bit. Because Aiden Turner's a really good actor, and they had um, Keeley with the poisoned arrow in his thigh. And so he kept being really hurt, but also being he- like, I really want to get to Erebor, which we didn't get to see. We didn't get to see all the emotional density from all the dwarves in the first movie. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to see how badly they wanted to get back to the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got that from Keely, at least. I think one of the reasons why you didn't see it so much in the first movie was it's still like, oh, it's Erebor, it's far away. Yeah, that's um, true, too. It's not really... Yeah, like when they, like, they're on the boat yeah. and they see it for the first time and they all are like, oh my gosh. And then the guy is like, take all my money. What's some sort of really nice sort of thing we can close Like on? a pleasant thing? A pleasant thing. <laughs> uh, Legolas let's, and Toriel's relationship. Let's talk about Except Legolas for not the angst. Except for... <laughs> <laughs> like the part where he's like, you left by yourself. And she's like, no, I didn't. He's like, oh, you knew I would come. And then they're like, best buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Elf BFFs. I'm gonna be that person that watches all when once they win the third Hobbit movie on DVD. I'm gonna be that person that watches all the Hobbit movies and then all Lord of the Rings movies in a row. <laughs> and I'm just gonna come upstairs at like 1 a.m. in the morning, but like the day after, and just be like, "What? I don't. 
what why does our house why isn't our house round (laughs) (laughs) well thanks so much kevin and elizabeth for coming on the show this was great we'll have to do this again thanks for having us this was fun yeah that's all the time we have for this episode before we go i just want to say that i'm going to be featured in my friend's gaming video on his youtube channel four-sided ball it's a video of us playing the first pack of portal 2 co-op levels in which i didn't know he was recording me and was super sick so sound like a dork but it's pretty funny or at least i think it is so check it out tune in next month for episode 17 ashes and shadows and monsters oh my We'll be talking with author Ilsa J. Bick about her post-apocalyptic Ashes trilogy. Remember that Generations Geek, like Kevin Lauderdale's It Has Come to My Attention, is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from a bomb shelter full of canned food and bottled water. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come Come back back next time. podcast. Ooh, shiny.